You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. You're listening to the Pull Box Podcast. The International Graphic Novel Book Club. Here are your hosts, Curtis Finley and Michael Cohen. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Pullbox Podcast. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your other host, Michael Cohen. This is episode number 10, and we will be talking about three books, three fantastic books, uh, Seconds by Brian Lee O'Malley. Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane. Um, there have been a couple of iterations that we'll touch on, but most most of it will be by Sean McKeever and Takashi Miyazawa. And then um, our reader poll this month is Superman Red Sun by Mark Miller, Dave Johnson, and Killian Plunkett. Um, yeah, you had a busy month this month, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Tell us a little bit about what's been going on with your... Uh, network here uh okay so i i well we we launched uh thunderquack podcast network uh, i think we talked about it a little bit on the last episode we did yeah sort of uh, the the intro to it but i uh, but this has kind of been february has been our first sort of full month in production uh with with all of the sort of new exciting stuff uh we're still getting our two new podcasts off the ground um and obviously once uh, uh star wars rebels is coming to a close actually this coming monday as as we're recording this the uh, season is yeah closing? the, the season oh, the season's true. finishing up uh yeah it's just 12 episodes and then the uh the the movie or maybe 13 episodes in the movie um the the initial sort of like intro movie that they did uh so that's wrapping up which means that i'll have a little bit more time there <laughs> and then as arrow uh, winds down towards the end of April. We'll definitely kick those other things into high gear. But Eight Bits of Destiny is coming soon, which and is exciting. What is Eight Bits of Destiny? So Eight Bits of Destiny actually started as an art show uh, that 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 I uh, that I did so that we could uh, have a place to showcase some awesome video game art. Curtis has had his art in the show as well. So have you? Uh, yeah, and uh, I so it started there um, and. When we when we launched Thunderquack, I wanted to uh, to to sort of give those incentives of a couple more uh, new exciting podcasts, and and I like to talk about video games, and I have some friends who like to talk about video games. So uh, my friends Casey White, uh, Casey White of ShogunGamer.com, he's a writer over there. He's actually kind of their their uh, uh, chief editor or editor in chief, I guess, uh, over at, at, uh, at Shogun and, uh, and, uh, Maddie McFly, who's a, a cosplayer, video game player. And, uh, uh, she does some stuff as well with Shogun and she's a, she's an amazing artist, um, who has also been involved with eight bits of destiny and actually helps me along with, with Curtis to, to get stuff, uh, going <laughs> around there. When you decide that you want to spend time in Disneyland. Yeah. Instead. I, I, well, I, that will be specifically at the, at during Star Wars celebration. The Disneyland's the kind of the the week before that. But, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I so we're gonna we're gonna talk about video games, but we're not gonna talk about like topical news stuff with video games. It's not like oh, these are the games that are coming out and here's what we think of them. It's actually more so uh, because of the nature of Eight Bits of Destiny being being an art show. 
uh, it's about the art and culture of video games and how it sort of affects the greater pop culture sphere. So we'll we'll talk about retro stuff, we'll talk about new stuff, but mostly we'll talk about sort of video games and its influence on culture as a whole. So wow. uh, uh, where where they take us and sort of where it's going, uh, what what they've done and how it's influenced. Uh, the way that that we consume media and all that sort of thing. So it's a little bit more uh, uh, of the, I don't know. I guess I guess uh, uh, philosophical nature of video games, less than than just another video game podcast talking about why you should play the Order eighteen eighty six or not. Right. Um, so I so yeah, that's that's eight bits of destiny, and then a regularly scheduled is weird because it, it is called a regularly scheduled for a reason. That's our our other new podcast. Which will be coming probably more towards the end of April, uh, maybe even sometime in May. Once uh, the shows, your other shows die down. Yeah, because uh, the thing with the regularly scheduled is that it will be a much more produced affair than anything else that we do at Thunderquack. So most of what we do at Thunderquack is what we call conversational podcasting, uh, to, to take the, the phrase from uh, Podcast Beyond. Uh, and... and we just kind of sit around and talk, right? Uh, that's that's how most of the podcasts work most of the time. Uh, but with with irregularly scheduled, they're going to be uh, a, more of a deep dive into individual topics. So we'll be uh, sort of tackling interesting stuff, mostly around geek culture, but some of it uh, sort of in the sciences and uh, and and general arts that sort of thing stuff basically it's it is the full title is irregularly scheduled with michael j cohen and that would be me so it's really stuff that i'm interested in and it's gonna be more uh, i've been telling people it's kind of more like a news magazine sort of thing so it's kind of like your your 2020 or if you're canadian w5 uh, i i don't even is w5 even on the on TV i anymore? have no idea um but sort of like Probably. those those in-depth sort of like let's take a look at this topic talk to a bunch of people uh that that are experts in that field and uh and sort of see what what we can't uncover and sort of answer some questions so a lot more editing involved for you yeah yeah so and a lot actually a lot less talking on my part because i'll actually be the one goodness (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i'll be the one uh asking the questions and then sort of trying to get to the bottom of stuff but but it'll be much more about what other people have to say than what I have to say because you guys kind of already know what I have to say about a lot of stuff. But um, so yeah, it, it's a little bit more journalistic and it's a little bit more of a challenge cool. for me. So so it's stretch it's yourself a little. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting to do that. But we just had uh, uh, last night our our first uh, Thunderquack roundtable, which is a, also a result of of the funding from uh, everybody on Patreon. And what that is, is a, a, a live Google Hangout on YouTube uh, where, uh, where hosts from all around the Thunderquack network uh, come together and talk, talk about just a, like a random topic. So last night we talked about Marvel superheroes and... Uh, the and movies the, in the, particular. And the Marvel Cinematic Universe, yeah. So we kind of talked about the movies that we're looking forward to and the, the movies that we're worried about. And, uh, and we had a really great conversation. So who was on the show last night? Uh, so last night it was myself, because uh, I had to be on the on the maiden voyage of that. But again, I'm going to try and step back and let other people take that cool. uh, in the future. Um, 
uh, and maybe just sit in the comments and and uh, and, and moderate there. Um, but uh, there was me, and it was uh, Tim Jirasi from uh, uh, Star Wars: The Saga Continues, and Kyle, his co-host, Kyle Avery. Uh, uh, but they both actually are very involved in in many of the the different things that we do at Thunderquack. Tim posts news for for uh, Rebels podcast as well as uh, his own site Star Wars the Saga continues and and Quiver so he's uh, he's our news hound he uh, he goes out there and, and brings everybody the awesome uh, uh, up-to-date stories uh, so that the websites don't just have podcasts on them um, uh, and uh, and so yeah they, they were they were great and Kyle does our recaps for for the Rebels podcast and did them for uh, for uh, the Clone Wars when we were doing Frontlines the Clone Wars podcast so uh, they're both huge assets and it was great to have them on and it was really great to talk about something that's not Star Wars <laughs> yeah some I was guys. actually pretty surprised at the restraint you guys showed not yeah. talking about Star Wars yeah I don't think uh, I mean I think we kind of we brought it up in order to introduce the guys at the beginning but I, we didn't really talk about yeah. Star Wars at all. There weren't even that many references to Star yeah, Wars, yeah. so it, well, it, it was pretty good. There will, I'm sure there will be a round table uh, eventually about Star Wars. Oh yeah, the, the second that they, that they drop some big news, yeah. and uh, I, there might be an additional thing or two from Star Wars Celebration, because we are actually all going to be in one house That's cool uh, for Star Wars Celebration, so... So the idea that we wouldn't do a, a sort of like a plethora of content for of all the different podcasts would be just ridiculous if we're all going to be in the same place for four or five days. So will that be the first time you've been in the same place? Uh, it will be the first time that that many of us have been in the same place. Uh, I have I the last Star Wars celebration. Uh, Kyle was there along with with some guys from other podcasts, uh, but I. Tim, I met when I went to Disneyland last year because he lives down there. Uh, but Matt, who I have been co-hosting Frontlines and now Rebels podcast with for six, seven years, I, I we've never met in person. Whoa, we've only ever talked over Skype. So that's huge. Uh, yeah, so it's a it's a it's a huge thing. Awesome. I'm really excited to to get in the room with everybody at once and podcast like we do. Like I mean, I. Both Quiver and Pullbox, uh, with you and Amanda, we're in the same room. So there's a different dynamic there. Uh, Definitely, it's, it's it is more conversational because we can actually look at each other and read each other's cues. Yeah, uh, it's not as much of the sort of radio talk that we get into on on Rebels uh, because we're not in the same room with each other. So I'm excited for that. And who was the special guest you had um, on Quiver? Yeah, and uh, at Quiver we did a special episode with uh, with Greg Miller of Kind of Funny, formerly of IGN, and as I just mentioned, Podcast Beyond. Uh, and we talked about uh, uh, Arrow. We talked about video DC video games and sort of the future and what we'd like to see and what what we're hoping we're going to see from from that. And uh, and then we talked a lot about the Aquaman costume uh, and and the the DC cinematic universe uh, uh, with you know Batman v Superman and Man of Steel and all that sort of stuff so it was uh, we, had, we had a really good conversation over there at, at Quiver um, and uh, it's not specifically I, I don't think that you really have to be watching Arrow in order to enjoy that no not at um, all in fact you don't I mean you talk about Arrow a little bit but the majority of the conversations 
about other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think it's a really good good conversation for people who are just fans of DC uh, and video games and comics and movies in general. So uh, yeah, yeah. It it has been a busy month. Yeah. It's been a very busy month, and I'm uh, you know uh, that's what we <laughs> asked for, right? Like that's yep. kind of. Yep. When when I approached everybody about Thunderquack and said let's let's do this thing let's do it properly I I knew that there was going to be a lot of extra work involved for one person in particular <laughs> uh, but it's good I'm I'm glad it's it's been going really well and uh, and we appreciate everybody who supports us over at Patreon and takes advantage of those really cool perks uh, over there so yeah. Patreon.com/slash/Thunderquack I'll plug it again at the end of the episode. Yeah, well, that's a that's a beefy update. All I did yeah. was read comics this month. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then on top of it, I read a lot of comics yeah. this month. A <laughs> lot of comics, um, and I've been drawing a lot. And like it, February, it's so funny because it's a short month. Uh, but I packed a in, lot in there. I packed in more this month than I think I've done. In, in a long time I've been really busy but well part cool. of that was um, you. we set out to read one volume of Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane yeah. and ended up reading like six volumes yeah. of it yeah. so and we'll get into that a little bit but maybe we should talk about some comic or do you want to let's address uh, yeah, let's, some let's, emails let's, let's go got. to the email first so we got uh, after we talked last month about Gotham Central which was a suggestion by Jonathan Spies mm-hmm. um, he sent us a few emails um, so follow-up e- emails, um, and one of them here is uh, talking about w- why he likes Gotham Central. So I wanted to read this because it has some good yeah. bits in it. Gotham Central is one of the books that actually got me into comics, which I think is a great introduction, mm-hmm. um, although um, I think it might be a little confusing because it, yeah. it assumes that you know a lot about Batman and his world. Yeah. But uh, anyway, he says... What drew me in initially was the hook of not focusing on Batman the whole time. On rereads, it's the characters that keep bringing me back. My favorite in the Major Crimes unit would have to be Stacy. I really like the rationalization the police have for the Bat Signal, and the single issue arc Daydreams and Believers is a fun turn in a mostly serious series. And I don't think we read that one. No, I don't think we got that far yet. Um, the other big strength of the series is how events actually affect our main cast of characters. When Mr. Freeze murders Driver's partner, it has ramifications well past in the line of duty. The biggest of those coming during Joker's Terror Spree, which is in Volume 2 with, okay. uh, or in the hardcover Volume 2. Um, I uh, On Craigslist, I saw this person was blowing out all of their DC comics, like 600 books for 5 bucks a pop. Hmm. And so, the four Gotham Central hardcovers were in there. So I for five dollars each so i picked them all up <laughs> awesome and so i plan to read this joker uh, story especially since um jonathan on more than one occasion has told us that that's the uh that's the the highlight of it yeah um he goes on to say the series has never been mined for dc warner brothers adaptations on the big and small screen levels a lot of nolan's joker story and plot in the dark knight is taken directly from gotham central which is that's interesting i didn't know that um so that'll be good when i get when we get to read yeah. that part um, he says I'm not sure how creators are supposed to get credit for these things but I thought it was weird of Goyer and Nolan to repeatedly acknowledge the long Halloween for its influence on the Dark Knight but not Gotham Central uh, probably because the Dark Knight is still a Batman movie not a non-Batman movie yeah. 
Um, or rather, it's a Joker movie. Um, <laughs> the far less successful adaptation is Fox's Gotham. Um, my main complaint with that show is that they have butchered such great a great premise and their horrible version of Ron, uh, Renee Montoya, which we talked about yeah. in the last episode as well. And then he sent another follow-up email. Um, not to get too critical... But I feel the podcast could benefit from avoiding nonstop DC bashing. Um, are they doing a bunch of dumb things? Do they have too many Bat Family books? Did they just ruin the Green Arrow book? The answer to all of those is yes, but they still have the best big two book on the market with uh, Snyder, Snyder's Batman. Um, I guess that's what we talked about Snyder's Batman a yeah, few episodes yeah, ago, right? With yeah. um, was was the Court of Owls? Yeah. Um, and then he goes on to say Marvel is still putting out a hundred different X-Men and Avenger books some even bi-monthly and they keep rebooting books with a higher price like Daredevil in conclusion let's try to highlight things we like without having to repeatedly repeatedly tear down the things we don't rant over keep up the good work (laughs) (laughs) Um, which is great we do appreciate these uh, comments even criticisms I think they're they're great and um, one of the things I love I've been reading a lot of the 1960s Marvel books and in those letter columns, Stanley is he puts out it all out there, the good and the bad in the letter columns, and yeah. he addresses all of the terrible things that people say, like you guys are terrible, this artist sucks, and yeah. and he's not afraid to say it, and I think we shouldn't be afraid to say that either. Um, I feel that um, your opinions on New Fifty Two are much stronger than mine, so <laughs> yeah. this the the bashing comments might be. Um, a little bit more your way. Do you want to respond to that at all? Yeah, I mean, so here's the thing. Uh, anytime somebody gets on a soapbox and starts ranting about how terrible X company is doing Y property, uh, nine times out of ten, it is because that person loves whatever that is uh, or feels very connected to it. Uh, I love DC. Uh, so, so the DC bashing that happens currently is meant to reflect the current state of DC. Uh, you know what? And it's not even really DC as the company. It's it's two things. It's Warner Brothers as a company, because I think that they are the ones pulling a lot of the strings. And it's uh, it is that is happening because of one person, and that's Dan DiDio, who should have a little bit more control over his division, but does not. He lets the the movies sort of run roughshod and, uh, and lets Warner Brothers call the shots. And and make and he makes some very uh, uh, stupid decisions personally. Like when New Fifty Two happened, they basically wiped out diversity in the in the DC universe, uh, and then you know uh, threw in a few token characters in order to to keep people happy. And uh, the DC universe pre New Fifty Two was. Uh, granted, it was hard for anybody to jump in and and uh, and enjoy it you know, without having to do a bunch of research and learn a bunch of stuff about characters that they didn't know anything about. But I uh, but it was a diverse place that had characters created by all sorts of people from all sorts of different walks of life. Renee Montoya is the prime example yeah, of that. Who were all wiped out in favor of a handful of characters created uh, uh, or recreated I should say uh, sort of in the image of, of Dan DiDio, Jeff Johns, and Jim Lee. So you've got three guys there uh, uh, sort of rewriting, recreating, and overseeing 
uh, a handful of characters that, uh, in my opinion, in, in a lot of cases, have been utterly ruined. I mean, Superman, he'll bounce back. He's indestructible. He'll be fine. The legacy is 75 years old, but the last five years of that legacy have really been stepped all over. Um and it's a shame. And I, that, that said, I'm not. I haven't read any of the recent stuff. I know that that Snyder has been writing some Superman stuff. I know that Jeff Johns has been writing some Superman stuff. And I'm sure that there are are nuggets of gold buried within those. I'm sure that that's the case. But overall, what DC has done in the last few years has really alienated a lot of the their um, really like core fan base uh then and and with star wars i know uh i can speak a little bit more to that because i know that fandom a little bit better being so involved in it i there are people that as long as you print the word star wars in front of something they will buy it they will eat it up and then they will tell everybody else how great it is even when it's absolutely terrible just horrible horrible stuff and i think that there are dc fans who do the same thing um, there is so much great DC material out there. Uh, we're going to talk about one of those pieces on this episode, and we're going to talk about more on the next episode. Yeah. Uh, and and jumping back into the legacy stuff, I think will be a way for us to stay away from sort of DC bashing. But as long as we don't do the comparisons, yeah. The I mean, like yeah. it's going to be hard not to to say, you know. Uh, I, here's here's where they did it right. I don't know why they can't be doing that today. I I, I understand that that Marvel also makes a lot of mistakes as well, and and I think that I've talked a bit about that. I think I talked about it last month with all new X Men because that's sort of uh, it started off strong, and then as soon as they wanted to tie it into other X Men books, which is what always happens with an X Men book, yeah. uh, it it starts to fall apart. So Marvel has its own issues. Um, yeah, well, and all of these is like this is the reason why I don't read Marvel and DC, and I haven't yeah. for the past ten years. It's like that's it, it's just convoluted, and then yeah. they get too convoluted, so they shake everything up, yeah. and um, and then you know, yeah, alienate people or whatever. But you know, um, taking the the single stories like the new X Men one that you 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 made me read in the first episode was that the first episode? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Taking them in little snippets like that yeah. is the way to go. Yeah. Uh, rather than try, and the same with the Batman story, it's finding those nuggets. Um, <clears throat> then you don't have to worry about all of the the yeah. other stuff. And yeah, they have these major crossovers. And if you just kind of either just ma- read the main mini series and not worry about the tie-ins, and, yeah. Then I'm sure you'll you'll be fine. It's the people that uh, that try to stay on top of everything, which I was one of those people in the '90s, early mm. 2000s, and then it just got too overwhelming and I stopped yeah um the um let's see so are we gonna make a little bit of an effort to not bash them as much not go on those rants or are you still gonna I mean, have the freedom to it, 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 it's a I, I, I'm 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 gonna feel free <laughs> to rant and bash whatever I, I just know that Jonathan's listening comes up yeah but I know that the majority of the time when that happens, especially when it happens with DC, it is because so many others have done it so well. And to see them 
But you know, DC. But I mean, they're, 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 they may be at an all time profit high. That's I what think, I was just right about now. to say. Yeah. They, they're doing better than Marvel. Yeah. In fact, yeah. Image is doing better than Marvel yeah. in terms of sales. Yeah. Um, so they don't. They probably don't care. <laughs> but and but that's the see that to me, uh, uh, is a is a problem, and that's why I say that I, I feel like Warner Brothers yeah. is really the one pulling the strings because, right. uh, they're they're using other elements, other other multimedia things to drive sales to their comics. Yeah, they're doing it in a better way than Marvel is doing right now. Even though Marvel has the better multimedia uh, when it comes to their movies. DC has has animated movies, they have video games, they have their own films that do really well regardless of what people think of Man of Steel. The movie made a lot of money and probably generated a lot of interest in comics. So they they do a much better job of of pulling people from those other things like the Arkham Knight or Arkham Arkham video game series yeah. into into the comics and uh, uh, collecting of action figures and whatnot. Um, but you know, it, it it's whether or not they're making money. I think that there's a bit of a consensus of, among people who who are connoisseurs, uh, people who who have actually like sort of studied and paid attention to comics. Uh, that what DC is doing from a storytelling standpoint is not the best that they could be doing, and it's certainly not living up to the standards set by previous authors and artists. Um, and and uh, editors, so you know, like it, they're they're making small steps in better directions recently, uh, and sort of course correcting. And here's the thing: Marvel and DC flip and flop in these positions all the time. Right. I and and it, a lot of it comes down to leadership. I think right now Joe Caseta has a lot better ideas about what to do with the Marvel universe. Yeah. Well, um, remember it, the '90s when. Um... Onslaught attacked, and then yeah. all of the titles got completely rebooted, and it was a self-contained whatever, whatever. Yeah. Um, except the X Men, they didn't touch the X Men. Yeah. But uh, those books would have carried on for five years, ten years, whatever, if the sales kept up. Yeah. The only reason why they reverted back to their original selves is that the sales plummeted. It, it, yeah. It was pretty drastic. They didn't even make a year, or <laughs> they think maybe they did make yeah. a year, but. Um, it's the same with New Fifty Two. New Fifty Two, they had an out. If they if those sales tanked, they would have restored everything back yeah. to the way it was before. But oh, and the, the, honestly, I, I I think that they're on a path to restore everything because uh, the big event this summer, <laughs> the big events for both the the, the big two, with the Marvel same. and DC, is the same thing, which is nostalgia fest. They're yeah. both bringing in all of their long history of, of stories, Elseworlds, uh, uh, what-ifs, all that sort of stuff, and, uh, and, and mashing them all together. So with Which DC, really it's Convergence, bad. and with, with Marvel, it's uh, Secret Wars. And uh, it's so funny that they're doing the exact same thing. Look, I think, I think uh, I, we're, we're on the cusp of... Marvel says that they're rebooting their universe. They're not going to. They're just bringing Ultimate into... The, the, the whole thing is just a big dramatic thing to get sales. And the end result will be that Miles Morales will be standing next to Peter Parker. And we won't have a world where Peter Parker is dead and Miles Morales exists. Because of the movies. That's yeah. the, like It's all going to tie into the movies. Not tie in directly, but it's all going to synergize with the movies. Right. Uh, DC, I think, is is going to try and make an effort in the next few years to 
bring back that diversity. I, and if they do, like if they do the things that it looks like they're doing, I'll be happy and I'll, and I'll pick up more books and I'll, and I'll read stuff as long as people are recommending stuff to me. I mean, I just can't do what I used to do, which was plunk down five bucks a month for Superman regardless. Right. I'm not going to do that because they've lost my trust. Yeah. Right. And uh, to be perfectly honest, everybody has lost my trust with the exception of Brian K. Vaughn. <laughs> Saga, <laughs> Saga is the only thing that I pick up in issues because it's the only thing that I feel like I want to read it. Like I know that. And even then, Saga is a little bit, I don't know, the, la- the, the volume five, I guess, was a little bit shaky. Okay. But I... I, Which you say happens to all Brian It Brian does. It does. Yeah. He's yeah. getting to the middle of the story, and I don't know if he knows where he wants to go at this point. Yeah. But I, I've basically stopped buying issues for the most part. Like I'll jump into to this here and that there, but but I just can't. I'm not going to invest on that you know monthly collecting thing because at the end of the day when all new x-men is no longer good i will stop reading that book right and when amazing spider-man stops being good i will stop reading that book and i i like with uh animal man i was reading animal man and swamp thing and that story finished and i stopped like the the that crossover between those two characters was done and they started telling other stories and people were like yeah it's not so good since so why waste your time there's so so much to read out there that uh yeah yeah it's i find buying graphic novels instead of issues allows me to uh wait for the echo chamber to come back and hit me and then i can make my my buying decisions and they're much more informed um but I don't know. I uh, right now I'm enjoying much more going back into older stuff and then reading a lot of independent stuff. Yeah. So yeah, me too. That uh, that I think that brings us actually to your poll. Yeah. Speaking of independent stuff, um, yeah. Let's talk about seconds. Yes. Brian Lee O'Malley, and you will hopefully recognize that name because of his success with Scott Pilgrim, mm-hmm. both of the book series and the movie. Um, you're a big fan. I'm yeah. a big fan. Although I don't have those color versions, those nice hardcover color <laughs> versions do. that you have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're pretty nice. Um, this is his follow-up to Scott Pilgrim. It is one volume. It's a, just a one-volume graphic novel, so not as drawn out as Scott Pilgrim is. No. Um, but it features a girl named Katie who uh, has a restaurant and she f- discovers that there is like this house fairy or something living in her in her house that she didn't in a restaurant that she didn't know about. She lives on the top floor of the restaurant. Um, in this dresser that has been there for longer than she has been there, lives this this spirit or whatever. Yeah. Um, and the spirit tells her in a matter in a in an indirect way that uh, um, there's a magic mushroom. And if she eats the mushroom and writes down a regret that she has and then goes to sleep, overnight that regret will no longer exist. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then she can kind of start fresh with a brand new day. And so uh, and that's the premise of the book. And she, of course, yeah. be- abuses that. Um, the title is called Seconds for a couple of reasons. It's because that's the name of her restaurant and it refers to getting seconds of food and it also refers to um, the mushroom giving her second chances all throughout the book. So yeah. I think it's a clever title. Um, uh, it, Yeah. 
my initial I didn't know anything about this if you listen to the last month I didn't even know how to describe this book because I literally didn't know anything about it yeah. I bought I picked it because of Brian Lee O'Malley you just went on the faith that yep. Scott Pilgrim is fantastic so yep. let's jump in <laughs> and and this the publisher Ballantine Books also I think is banking on that because look at how big his name is on the cover of, yeah. of the book like this is Comic books don't usually put the author's name as big yeah. as the title on that's, the cover of their books. That's more of a, a, a fiction, you yeah. know, like, uh, yeah, Michael Crichton's name is bigger than Jurassic Park. Exactly. <laughs> and, oh, Random House, that's who is, is doing this, not, I thought it was Valentine. Um, Random House is, they're not a comic book publisher. Yeah. They just do a couple of graphic novels a year um, to satisfy that, that demographic. Um, but they're treating this like like they would any other other of their authors and i think that's really yeah. cool I yeah think that's great um so why don't uh you say a little bit about your thoughts a seconds and i'll pipe in yeah. with my thoughts yeah so here i'm just gonna give the 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 brief there's a little card with the the mushroom uh that tells it gives her the instructions so it says uh, a second chance awaits uh one write your mistake two ingest one mushroom three go to sleep four wake anew and here's the most important part. Uh, events must occur on these premises. Oh, yeah. Right? That's right. Um, in, so, in the restaurant. Yeah. Uh, so I love Brian Lee O'Malley. Uh, I love his sensibility. Um, Scott Pilgrim is, uh, is, is one of those things that I think everybody should read in their 20s. Uh, in their early 20s yeah. to sort of like relate to that character and and uh, sort of have that, that touchstone of uh, trying to figure out who you are, uh, uh, how you relate to other people, and uh, most importantly, how your relationships to other people affect you and, mm -hmm. and sort of help you build the character that you are. Uh, seconds is interesting because it is his follow-up to that and it is very much about your late 20s early 30s yeah yeah and sort of like the mistakes that you made in your 20s because you're going to <laughs> um and and learning from those mistakes and the second chance that you have in your 30s in order to actually like be an adult and yeah it's, yeah. it's interesting because this is a this is a new dynamic that that i think our generation is is really the first to experience um, because we have these extended childhoods that, that go all the way into our late 20s. That's right. Um, and we don't even think about having kids until until then. I, I, or, or, you know, what our career is. Or, and I have so many friends who are in their mid to late 20s and, and they just kind of go out and hang out and do their thing with their life and they're not really thinking that much about the future yet. Um, and, and I think that these are... As much as Scott Pilgrim was, was autobiographical for Brian Lee O'Malley, I think that Seconds is also autobiographical. Yeah. Uh, they, it's, it's allegorically autobiographical, of course. if I can use some <laughs> alliteration in big words. Uh, but it, he is telling a story about a phase of life. So it is... It's so much like you can you can definitely read it and the plot is is interesting and the characters are interesting and you get invested in all that. I sat and I read the first I think probably like ten pages uh, one night the night that I got it because I ordered it and it showed up and and I was like oh I want to dig into this. Read a few pages, had to go to sleep. Woke up the next day, did the things that I had to do, and then uh, it was a Saturday afternoon and I was just like I'm gonna. 
I'm gonna jump back into seconds for a little bit. And a little bit. <laughs> I, yeah, and then I just finished the book. I finished the whole thing, which is uh, just over 300 pages. Um, and uh, it, it, I, I'm not a fast reader, so like that, that did take a substantial amount of time. I probably sat and read for a good like three hours uh, straight to get through all of that. But every time I would kind of come to the end of a chapter, because uh, there are kind of these break points. Um, I would go, oh, maybe I should... No, it's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think because, like, it, it, it does hit those... So the same sort of feelings that, that Scott Pilgrim does, where uh, you're, you really relate to the character and you really want to... Um, you want to see it through. And Scott Pilgrim, over six volumes, sort of strings you along on that story... Uh, but I did the same thing with each volume of Scott Pilgrim as, as uh, I mean, really, I think only the last two volumes came out after I had started reading it. Um, so it was sort of like they would come out and then you would just digest them in one night. Like you just, just go all the way through. Um, but there it's, there's just this really cool thing that he manages to do where he kind of captures what it is to be a person of that age in that place. I, and and but then does it with these fantastical elements that keep the story interesting and intriguing yeah. right um and it's that mix of of fantasy and reality it's so grounded that when weird stuff starts happening you have to know more yeah right yeah. like when the 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 first time she she eats a mushroom and, and goes back it's kind of like oh that was that was kind of cool and then as she starts to abuse it and weird things start happening you're like oh well, she's not going to do that again and she just kind of keeps going down that road and uh, until sort of catastrophe by the end of it um and it like it gets off the rails in the best kind of <laughs> way by the end of the story and you're like how do you fix this like how does this get solved um and uh and and it's just such a great ride from start to finish that's why i couldn't put it down i, I had to keep going um i think brian lee o'malley is really uh he's he's kind of a genius because he's doing stuff in comics that that i don't know that a lot of other people are actively doing at this moment uh he's telling these, like I said, autobiographical stories, but in this great fantasy way that everybody gets hooked by, um, it's at the same time that it's kind of a cool hipster uh, world that he's creating with both Scott Pilgrim, even though that's kind of pre-hipster as a as a, a kind of slang. But <laughs> I, I and, but probably ushered point, in the hipster. Yeah, I think it was a very big part of it, right? I. Uh, so it's there. There are these elements that I feel like could be alienating, but somehow he handles them in a way that you want to see yourself in his characters. Yeah, and that that makes it uh, incredibly mainstream while standing slightly on the outskirts. So like he's a yeah. weird wallflower, like so many of us. But I think in the same way that like Peter Parker is a relatable character, which we'll get to. You know, I was going to bring up the same thing because yeah. at the heart of this story and Scott Pilgrim and yeah. you know the thing that makes Mary Jane the thing it, it does mm -hmm. is the relationships and us peeking in 
at their their lives yeah. um and that's uh that that's that's what draws you in and because we're we are comic book geeks and love science fiction of course there's those elements in yeah. scott pilgrim and seconds yeah. that that we love as well and you know wouldn't be as entertaining as of a story if it didn't have those i think um my um I, you took the dust jacket off of your of yeah. your book here and now i can see i never saw the the actual cover like that's on the on the on the book here which i'll just say that's one of my guilty pleasures in life i because i don't like to keep the dust jackets on while i'm reading something because i don't want to damage the dust jacket right so i'll take them off and and one of my favorite things in the world is when i take it off and see what the book is designed like and seeing something really cool um there's a so i i implore everybody go to your bookshelf grab a book that has a dust jacket take it off and see what surprises await <laughs> if you've got the star wars art books the the prequel art books there's some really cool stuff underneath those dust jackets that you yeah. might not notice that my, my book um chuck jones the dream that never was if you take off the dust jacket it's exactly the same underneath <laughs> and i think that i was kind of disappointed at that but that was a that was that was on the designer not, not yeah. me <laughs> but anyway back to this design here yeah. um when i was reading this book I thought this is exactly an episode of the Twilight Zone. It has such a feeling. Mm. I love the old Twilight Zone. And yeah. this cover, now that I see it, it's like, of course. It's the intro to the Twilight Zone. It really yeah, is. With right. the images and the, in, and the stars they're, and everything. They're, and they're kind of like rotating through yeah. space, which is exactly the Twilight Zone and opening. So I'm absolutely right. sure that he's, he loves the Twilight Zone as well. Yeah. And even like with the narration, the style of the dialogue, because um, yeah. you know it's like, you're entering a whatever a dimension of sight and of sound and, yeah and it's um the whole the whole way that it's narrated is like she woke up and there was a glow yeah um, she made a conscious decision not to freak out <laughs> i love the way that she interacts with the narration yeah well she's narrating yeah and yeah. she's narrating her own story in the third person but she argues with herself it's yeah so good it's so good um he this book i think is so much more mature yes. than Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. He's come a long way. In he his, learned a lot. Yeah, in his drawing, in his storytelling. Yeah. Um, while Scott Pilgrim definitely feels like a serialized comic. Yeah. Um, in the way that the panels are set up, even and, and the dialogue and the storytelling, like this is definitely a graph, quote unquote, graphic novel. Yeah. Um, I just love the stuff that that he's done in this um the way he's arranged his panels his use of white panels yeah um every every chapter in this book ends with a blank panel to sig because every every um every chapter ends with a revision Mm -hmm. so he has a blank panel to you know to symbolize that there's a blank slate happening here and then w- when he starts a new chapter, it always begins with a blank panel as well. And I think that's just kind of a neat. neat I way didn't. To do I, that. I didn't even notice that. This is why I love talking comics with you, Chris, because you have this analytical mind for it. That like <laughs> like this studious way. Like I'm all about feelings and an emotional response to it. And then you're like, look at this great way that the layouts. Work. <laughs> I love yeah. it because I that it that is a whole other level that I didn't even see the first time i read it like this is this is a book i don't reread a lot of stuff unless we decide that i'm gonna read a book that i've already read for pull box right like i don't usually revisit stuff i am going to reread this book you're gonna have to yeah and i'm gonna have to probably when the movie is happening because there will be a movie 
There will be. Yeah. I guarantee it. The other thing I really love is the very limited color palette in mm-hmm. this. The the there's reds a, and the oranges. A great style to it. Um, I mean, it's very colorful. Yeah. But it's um, it's limited and it really and he plays with color so well. Yeah. Um, and we didn't get that with Scott Pilgrim because it was black and white, and I yeah. haven't read the color ones, so I don't know how it is. But it's the same colorist. I both. only I only own the color ones. I haven't actually read them yet. I'm kind of waiting until I have all six. Okay. And then I'm going to go through them all at once. Nice. In fact, once volume six comes out, I'll probably say, let's read Scott Pilgrim one month. <laughs> the other thing that's really interesting is you thought that Scott Pilgrim was cartoony. Yeah. This book is yeah. way more cartoony. Yeah. Uh, and I was quite surprised because at, while it's way more mature, yeah. um, the characters, like she is kind of a dwarfy kind of character yeah. uh, with big eyes, which yeah. are a signature, um, but his characters are, are much more stylized than Scott Pilgrim, if you can imagine that. Yeah. Um, and but at has, the same time, I feel like they have, they like you, the page that you've just flipped to is the one where where uh, she first describes her, her friend, I can't remember the character's name, uh, as a... As Hazel. A, Hazel as a witch, witch Hazel. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that that sort of like standing little like portrait of her, like the full body portrait yeah. of her, has way more depth to it. Even though it is actually simpler than a lot of the stuff from Scott Pilgrim, there there's less going on in it, but it is so much more refined and yeah. there's so much more depth to that character from that visual aspect. Definitely. Like you can you really get a sense of who that person is, which just by are, the way she stands or the yeah, way she looks. Yeah, yeah, there are elements of that in Scott Pilgrim, but like you said this is a much more mature uh, 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 sort of version of of Brian Lee O'Malley's work. Yeah. Because I think he uh, as as is the journey with Scott Pilgrim, uh, by the end of that book Scott sort of grows up and becomes an adult for real. Uh, I think they they like because we've said it's autobiographical that reflected his journey. Yeah, and so I so mean, if Scott Pilgrim turned into a girl, this could be the yeah. extension of like where he it goes could, next. It could absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah it, it it could have been a sequel. I'm glad it's not. I'm glad that it, it stands on its own and its own thing. Yeah. Um, although Scott and Ramona do make a brief appearance, uh, actually, I think do they? Ramona, I didn't notice that. I think Ramona's in it twice, uh, and, but there's a moment where uh, she's in one of the crowd scenes. Yeah, they're they're in the restaurant at one point, um, and you got to really look because it's just the t-shirt. I, oh yeah, and uh, and Ramona's <laughs> got her bag. Like they're kind of in I their iconic notice. their iconic outfits, but they are in there. I'm gonna um, have to reread this with that in mind. That's yeah. awesome, uh, and that's. I should have expected that actually. Yeah. I yeah. I I prefer to think of it that it is a shared universe. That yep. in the same universe where Ramona is going through uh, dimensional portals in order to take shortcuts, and Scott can fight like a video game character, that uh, that that there are mushrooms that allow you to, to have a second chance. Totally. And house spirits and that sort of thing. Because like the both stories are so grounded in reality. But then entirely fantastical, which I think is what Marvel does the best, right? Yeah. Uh, by setting things in cities that you know. Although this is not set, as far as I can tell, in an actual city. I don't know if it is or not. Like, and he just doesn't make mention. Right. Yeah. He doesn't really. Scott Pilgrim, like, they, he went to great lengths to be like, "This is Toronto. Yeah. Look at all these landmarks from Toronto." I guess you could Google Twenty Two Lucknow Street and see if it's an actual place. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I doubt it. Um, 
It reminds me a lot of uh, of of Ottawa actually, because of like the going over the river and that sort of thing. And, oh yeah, and how everything feels kind of old. And the seasons uh, and stuff that yeah, they show, yeah. Yeah, but I've only ever been to Ottawa once. So. I have never been to Ottawa. <laughs> Canada's too big. Um, so the other thing that I wanted to mention is that while the characters are really cartoony, the backgrounds in the mm-hmm. world is not, and that's different from Scott Pilgrim as well, yeah. because Scott Pilgrim played a lot with perspective and yeah. like none of his lines were straight and all this kind of stuff. Like it, it was a he had a it was a cartoony guy in a cartoony world, whereas yeah. this one the world. And I think this is to make the outlandish part more believable. Yeah. Is that the uh, the backgrounds are are very realistic. They're rendered yeah. in a realistic style. And at the back of the book, it says that he has an assistant now. Jason Fisher is his drawing assistant. Mm-hmm. I'm going to assume that he's the background artist mm. um, because that it it's such a different kind of it's yeah. a departure from Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Um, so and that's an interesting thing too. Helps him get his books out faster i guess as well and i think it it works really well they're a good team yeah yeah that's exactly how i would want to work <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'll draw the characters and i'll do a, like a brief sort of like sketch a little of, layout of the, or something yeah of what the the room looks like but uh if but you they get an actual architect to, to do the yeah. background yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah get somebody who's actually good at that stuff all that uh, then you never grow then you never get better yeah that's the problem with that <laughs> So are we saying that people should check out Seconds? Uh, unequivocally, yes. Yeah, I think I, so. I think that uh, uh, not only should you check out Seconds, I think that it's a comic that should be in any respectable graphic novel library. Um, yep. Right alongside Scott Pilgrim, as it is in mine. Uh, right out in the living room, not in the bedroom, not hidden away, <laughs> but like in amongst the books that it's like, look, these are the books that are important. Yeah, as um, far as literary you know, right classics next to, Right next go. to volume one of Kids A. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's mine, my book. If people are wondering about that <laughs> reference, I think everybody listening to this knows that. I hope so. Book. That's good. If they don't, they need to go to. Oh, it's curtisfinley.tumblr.com. That's right. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Well. Uh, so should we good. should we jump into my my sure. poll? Okay, so my poll for this month was Spider Man Loves Mary Jane, and actually, I. Uh, I made an error because I had lent out the the actual first two volumes of this story to uh, to Amanda, my co-host from Quiver. Uh, the first two volumes of this are actually uh, a title just called Mary Jane, uh, and there's too many series that were done. Same same team, I I but I it's a little bit shakier, and uh, I, the main thing that that happened in the changeover where it really starts to get good is with this volume one of Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane. And I think it's that inclusion of the Spider-Man Loves part right there at the beginning. Uh, the first two volumes focus a lot on... Uh, Peter Parker is actually a, like an incidental character yeah. in, in Mary Jane. And I love that about that. Um, with, yeah, because um, we <laughs> so we started just going to read... We wanted to read just the one volume, but we ended yeah. up just plowing through all of it and going back to those original two as well yeah peter parker yeah like you said he's incidental and he pops up and says things and his face isn't even in the frame in some in some yeah. instances yeah like, in the first volume especially he is a like, non-character yeah. because yeah. that's how mary jane views him yeah. at the time as well um and it's not until this becomes the ongoing series here yeah um that he actually becomes a character yeah um i i i th- th- so basically it's uh, it is your nine zero two one zero, the OC Smallville uh, sort of CW teen drama, 
but it happens to take place at Midtown High with uh, with Mary Jane Watson and her her best friends Harry Osborne, Flash Thompson, and Liz Allen. So it's uh, in some instances uh, uh, reimaginings of the characters. Uh, it is very much uh, a, a rebooted universe. It stands on its own. Um, it's not the regular 616 continuity. Um, as I said, I think uh, on last month when I introduced it, the, the universe that it has the most in common with is the uh, uh, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends TV show. Huh. Um, because, uh, I, in fact, Firestar and Iceman do end up making appearances. Yeah. Well, um, and that's um, they do that in Ultimate Spider-Man as well. I think there are a lot of okay. similarities with Ultimate Spider-Man yeah. back in the early days of Ultimate yes, Spider-Man, yeah. I mean. But also... Um, I was surprised at how much the spectacular Spider-Man cartoon draws from these books. As so well. yeah, so I, uh, as much as I've, I've as I've said since I read these books initially that this needs to be a TV series, it kind of is because Spectacular Spider-Man pulls a lot of it, 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 the the characters of Spectacular Spider-Man are very much inspired by the characterizations yeah. from Spider-Man. Los I was Jean. quite surprised. So yeah. the the dynamic uh, that that they sort of all share with one another. Is is very similar, spectacular Spider-Man, the best animated Spider-Man. It for my really money. is. I, I, I think so, so well too. done. Um, it focuses much more on the Spider-Man of it, right? Yeah. Um, and and sort of the, of course, the, the superhero supervillain dynamic. Um, the superheroes and supervillains in this book. One of my favorite things. It's actually it's a great follow up to having just read. Gotham Central because it's very much the same thing but with teenagers in high school instead of cops yeah, yeah instead yeah. of cops where Spider-Man will occasionally fight somebody in the cafeteria uh, or on the roof of the school uh, but, but it's it, not the focus yeah but that's not what the story's about in fact there's there is only one story in in Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane in the in the entirety of the series that actually has to do with the larger goings on in the school, um, and if if you haven't read, because uh, that's in one of the later volumes, so I won't spoil it. But right. It is. Uh, it's it. It starts off as a really great excuse for Spider-Man to be at the school a lot, um, and then kind of uh, ends up wrapping up in this really cool uh, uh, twist to the story. But um, I don't. I. I. It's. It's. It's endlessly addicting. Um, the 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 creative team from the start is, I think, like just a match made in heaven. Sean McKeever and and Takeshi Miyazawa were born to work with one another because uh, Takeshi, who ends up actually also working on a bit of Runaways as well. Oh yeah. Um, he, just the way that he sort of captures teenagers and uh, and makes them feel realistic. I, I that they don't. One of my things with all new X Men is that they don't look like teenagers. They just look like skinny adults, right? Right. Like in a yeah. lot of comic book artists, that's what they'll do. It's like, oh, well, these are teenagers. Well, what makes them teenagers? Well, we said that they're teenagers. So okay, <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I'm the names dropped out of my head. I, I. Phoenix, uh, Miss Jean Marvel, Gre- Jean Grey, Jean Grey. Uh, which is the name that she went by in the nineties. Yeah. So I don't know why I would forget <laughs> that. Uh, Jean Grey just looks like a grown adult woman. Yeah. She does not look like a teenager, but these characters look like teenagers, uh, yeah. including right down to Spider-Man, Firestorm, and then when when you do see uh, uh, Iceman uh, in in the final volume. Uh, b- 
before the soft reboot that they did. Um, I well, and then there's two issues in Volume Two that are flashbacks, and they're drawn they by are. different artists, yeah. which I think is a great way to utilize well, and, different and artists. The, the, the and last, the last two volumes, Volume, I, I, what is it, three and four? Four, just Volume Four, or is it just Volume? It's just four? Volume Four. Is a volume different Four artist is too. a different artist, but this artist that did um, did these two issues in Volume Two, um, they they look a lot older. Yeah, it's just uh, not do. everybody. Yeah, and I think it's because they go much. They're they're very stylized in these, yeah, in these books. So they you know they have the big eyes, a lot of Japanese influence here, of course. And yeah, and the, um, that was the when these were published, uh, Marvel was making sort of a play for that audience because manga with with uh, Naruto and and Bleach and uh, and Full Metal Alchemist had, uh, had kind of taken what Dragon Ball had done, uh, Dragon Ball and Sailor Moon. Let's credit uh, uh, in in the the early 90s and in the late 90s early 2000s these other comics had kind of come and blown that open and yeah. made anime well and there is such a, a huge thing and, and there's such a huge market for girls comics in manga yep. that are so relationship driven yeah. and it's all about the yeah. romance it's yeah. it's very I, I actually i almost picked uh, for the poll for next month and and it'll come up eventually but i didn't want to do them so close together uh another book which is manga called Densha Otoko, which is uh, very similar to this. Oh yeah, that that I, I yeah, like that. It's the, and I think that's what Marvel was going for. They were going yep. for that very um, soapy relationship uh, uh, storytelling, and Sean McKeever nails it. Like he he does it in a way that um, yeah, it is it is juvenile to a degree because it is about high schoolers and their relationships, but. Um, but it's handled in such a, a down-to-earth fashion that even when they're making silly teenage decisions, uh, they're believable teenage decisions. It's not like some some versions of teenagers on TV or, or in movies and comics where uh, they're just moody and emotional because they're moody and emotional and they do dramatic, ridiculous things because that's Although there was funny. there was that in these books too. There, oh, there absolutely is. But but I think a lot of it actually reflect I don't know, it, it, it very much reflected my high school experience. I, so I that that I I, I can relate. Uh, if only Were I you had like football captain? I, no, if, I was gonna about to say if only I had spider powers <laughs> so that uh, you know I I I when I'm off screen, it's a little bit more exciting than my life actually was sitting at home playing video games and reading comics. But, uh, but other than that, it was very relatable. Oh, that's good. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I connect with it so much. I also, I love teen soapy stuff. I uh, got the yeah. whole series of the OC. I love that <laughs> Friday night lights. Uh, well, and I, that's Veronica the thing Mars. about I love this that stuff. I think the thing that makes this so appealing is, and I'm, mentioned it before it's it's because we're peeking in mm-hmm. on the private affairs of these people yeah. and there's something about that that just it's so, it's so different than superheroics yeah. than watching that it's like uh, and that's why even comic books even superhero comic books have that those relationship elements in it yeah. because we do those are the things that we relate to those are the things that we care about. We want to know the decisions that they're going to make. Yeah, um, that's why soap operas are so popular and long-lasting, and also addictive, mm-hmm. um, because um, they, because you are inserting yourself into those roles. Yeah, 
and uh, and what affects them affects you. Uh, so, coupled with the fact that these are very easy reads, the the there's like they, you, the flow is just so it's, it's there. So that you just I read it in in issues, okay, um, rather than in these books. Um, I actually borrowed digital single issues from the library. If you can believe that I found because I, I was looking for library copies and um, the the website sent me to a place where I could download borrow digital versions of these issues single issues so oh, that's awesome yeah so I read them as single issues and I'm just like flicking through the pages because they're so easy to read and like yeah. in five minutes I'm ready for another issue and I just yeah. it's just like I gotta have I gotta keep going yeah um, and, and it was weird well, there's a that I'd say I'll say there's a common element between all three of the books, which is really hard to believe because Seconds and Spider Man Loves Mary Jane obviously have a lot of correlation, but Superman Red Sign, where's the connection there? I the layouts on the pages are straightforward and yeah. easy to read. Yeah, there's not too many panels. There's not ridiculous panels. Characters aren't sticking out everywhere nope. yeah, all they are, the time. They're good storytellers. Yeah, and and that, I think, is the... Uh, panel layout is the unsung hero of comic book storytelling. Yeah. Because I just read uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, all-new X-Men, the crossover, the trial of Jean Grey. Yeah. And there are two artists on that because that, that trade is actually collected issues of both of those series okay because it like bounced back and forth between the two so one artist did more traditional layouts although still very you know comic booky of like you know slanted lines and yeah, popping out of the flamboyant frames. the other artist every third set of pages was i i i i don't know what do, what do you call it when it goes across both pages so a double spread yeah like a double spread where like you're not reading it one page and then the next page you're reading across both pages right and it just became so infuriating especially when you're reading a graphic novel because the doesn't the binding the doesn't allow it yeah. <laughs> yeah so like it, it just i don't know i rules are absolutely there to be broken and when you can do it in a cool way like uh like they did with um uh, uh, the death of Superman, you know, where eventually by the end of that story, it gets so big and huge that every page is a splash page yeah. uh, in the fight between him and Doomsday. That's cool. That's a great, great way to use storytelling convention and turn it, turn it on its head. I appreciate it so much more when people have a good grasp of the fundamentals and then tweak it here and there. And I think uh, comics are so much easier to read and the storytelling comes across so much better when somebody actually has a good understanding of, of that layout. Um, and and all three of these books managed to do that. Uh, but Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, totally straightforward. I don't know that there are really any big, like, sort of, like, pop-out moments. There's there's absolutely a few uh, uh, sort of splash page things. Whenever Spider-Man yeah. pops in, well, and they it's always kind end, of a big deal. They but. end each issue with a with a splash page because yes, each issue yeah. kind of ends with a little cliffhanger of some sort yeah and they always get the big half page image with the credits at the end it's kind of the end of the episode yeah I, I, but because it does very much play each each issue plays as an episode of a of a tv show they're yeah. all kind of self-contained which i really like i i it's it's that is the opposite of seconds which was very much a continuing story throughout the whole book you right. wanted to read the whole thing in one sitting but with this 
it was it was like uh, uh, our current culture of binge watching on Netflix. Uh, if this was a Netflix series, you would just be playing the next episode, yeah. playing the next episode. And each issue is a day. Yeah. For these, so it's not like so. Yeah, the characters wake up in the morning or arrive at school or whatever, and they go to bed. Like, it, there's no, none of the. Uh, I don't think they go overnight at all. Oh yeah, actually, they do a couple times. Um, but for the most part, yeah, it's like you can read just one issue. Yeah. And be satisfied because it's a day's events worth of events. Yeah, yeah, they cram a lot into there. So for you, what was the jumping off point? Where, <laughs> where did they jump the shark in this? Yeah, so uh, volume four is where Sean McKeever steps away, and uh, and they bring in. No, this uh, one, Sean McKeever's still here. Sorry, well, that's his last volume, I mean. And then, like, that's, the, for me, for all intents okay. and purposes, that is the yeah. end of the series. So me. the publishing history yeah. here is that they did one miniseries, four yep. issues, and then they did a, called Mary Jane, then they did another four-issue miniseries yep. called Mary Jane Homecoming. They proved to be popular, so there is the Spider-Man Mary Jane ongoing series, which only lasted for 20 issues, which is summed up here yeah. in the four volumes. Then it took a hiatus. Yeah. They decided to bring it back with a new creative team for two, I think, just two miniseries. Yeah. Um, and that was... It's, Terry Moore was was the the uh, writer on that. Um, I, I don't know. It's over there. <laughs> it's, it's not at hands reach so uh, I don't know okay. who the artist is but I uh, Terry Moore critically acclaimed uh, writer uh, uh, the the writer behind uh, it's Lost in Paradise Strangers, yeah. in, Strangers Paradise. in Paradise which you think um, he would be a perfect fit based on Strangers in Paradise he'd be yeah. a perfect fit for this yeah. kind of drama but um, I think where it where it loses its charm is that he came in and did not follow the formula. He came in and, and reinvented the wheel. Yep. And and I think it because this is the, because Spider-Man loves Mary Jane is very much a TV format of a of a series. Uh it, it is like someone coming in uh if this was sort of the first season, the the those 20 issues plus Mary Jane. I uh, so I think it's 24 issues in total. Oh, 20 I think it's just issues. 20 20 issues of the ongoing series. Yeah. Um and then and, uh, however many it is. Uh, yeah. That's sort of like the first season cuz that's their junior year. Yeah. I uh, this one comes back at the <laughs> It's funny that this this story is called Sophomore Jinx and uh and and uh Sophomore Slump is a is a is a commonly used term for when something tries to come out with its second season, second movie, <laughs> second whatever. And it it's, it's often the sophomore slump, well, right? There you go. Um, and Terry Moore, he just like he comes into the second season of a TV series and rewrites the formula. And so it's not that it's necessarily bad; it's that it is not what it was before. And here's the really big thing. Volume four of Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane ends on basically the cliffhanger that you've been waiting for since the beginning of of the Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane title being introduced, and that is Peter and Mary Jane finally getting together. My Nintendo Wii you wants me to buy Donkey Kong apparently. Oh. Uh, if that pick, if that sound picked up on the uh, <laughs> on the thing, um, yeah, like that 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 volume ends with them. Finally, both single. Finally, both 
in a place where they could start a relationship and it looks like it's about to happen and then you come into this and it's like it just ignores that not only does it just ignore that uh, we've only made it from the beginning of the school year to the winter so we haven't even made it to Christmas in, in their school year and then we jump all the way ahead to sophomore year Yeah. so that means that there's a whole half a year story missing that they're avoiding each other and stuff and but yeah. And yeah, and you know, and the the way they ended in this last issue with them, it's like it's wordless, which yeah. is great. And you just see, not even first contact between the two of them. Yeah. It's like they know what each other's thinking, and they're gonna go for it. And then we are left to our to create the rest of the story for yeah. ourselves. So, so for me, uh, the way that I I like to think about it is that the series does end. With that one, yeah. uh, with that volume four, with that moment, and then th- it picks up basically with the rest of their lives, right? With yeah. everything else that we know. At that point, they they get together. Spider Man and Mary Jane are a big thing, uh, and then that's the that's Spider Man as we know him for the most part, right? Um, uh, and in this universe, Gwen never dies. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. So let's uh, we we can be thankful for that. Um, well, and I my I think that the book actually jumped the shark before that. Okay. Um, the final volume has a different artist, and that's always a sign that things are yeah changing. Um, but I really think once Firestorm came in, that was the end. Okay. And so she comes in, and when uh, she comes in, in volume she's introduced in volume one. She, that's the first time that we ever see her is is uh, right towards the end of volume one. I think. But when she it's when she comes back to uh, that's Gwen's come, come. Oh yeah, okay. So yeah, it is in volume four here. Um, at the beginning of volume, right at the beginning of volume four. So it's issue sixteen. Yeah, Firestar comes back, and he, she and Spider Man start their own little relationship because. You know, he and Mary Jane are on the on the odds for some reason. Yeah. Um. That to me is the end right there because all of a sudden now the book isn't about Mary Jane anymore. Yeah. It's about Mary Jane and it's about Spider Man and we're now split our attention. That's and, true. And it's like the best thing about this book was that it was um su- it was a superhero book but we weren't focusing on the superheroes but now we're yeah. focusing on the superheroes. I mean yeah. they're not fighting bad guys but it's still focusing on their superhero relationships. They're talking about. Um, revealing secret identities and such and like that's not why I'm reading this book yeah so that's where it jumps I think I think I think Sean McKeever I mean you have to look at this the way that there's a there's a little epilogue sort of his afterthoughts uh, in volume four on the final page which you probably didn't see in the issue no because it it, when he's writing that the the Terry Moore uh, issues are imminent like they're they're on their way so it's obviously a little while later. Um, this this uh, uh, story was written over the course of three years. And I think by the end of that, uh, I don't know if he was running out of ideas or if he was running out of steam or what it was, but you can tell that he... I think he was trying to reinvigorate it with something. Yeah, I think um, so too. Well, and I really think by the end of it, he was trying to get back to... Uh, uh, those two volumes uh, two and three kind of go off on this other thing where where the the relationship between Harry and Mary Jane kind of 
kind of takes it off into there's there's a lot of repercussions as a result of of their relationship and it takes two volumes really almost three volumes in order to deal with all of that because they break up they get back together they break up yeah uh, and and really i i it felt like he was trying to get back to spider-man loves mary jane like back to peter and mary jane being a possibility um and the thing that's missing after volume one the thing that's not in mary jane volumes one and two and the thing that's not in spider-man loves mary jane after volume one is the relationship between peter and mary Mary right Jane. like they 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 kind of uh, uh have this great friendship that you really like to read even knowing that that peter's kind of in love with her but that she's in love with spider-man and there's a weird love triangle going on there but then she's going out with harry and harry's one of peter's friends and like there's all this great stuff there and then they almost end up cutting peter out of it when they introduce gwen right and right. it becomes a love triangle between gwen mary jane and peter and you know and so i don't know like there there's great stuff about all of the stories i think and i think it's all well worth the read but but you can kind of tell that in volume four um he had to set up scenarios in order to bring those characters back together right because yeah he knew the, so far away he from knew the end was near yeah and you can always end so so did the artist because they moved on to another book or something like that. I think he he'd moved on to to runaways. Runaways. Okay, that that'd be a good fit for him. I think that'd be mm-hmm. good. I, yeah, I should check that out. I, in fact, I think I have those volumes at, at home because <laughs> I have all those small runaways paperbacks. But I should uh, check them out. Um, so th- I think one of the the biggest mistakes that this ongoing series made is calling the series Spider Man Loves Mary Jane. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know why they did it because Spider Man. So that when they, in the comic book stores, when they're arranging their new comics alphabetically, yeah. it'll be put with the rest of the Spider-Man books, yeah. and people will see it and buy it. But it isn't about Spider-Man loves Mary Jane. It's about Mary Jane loves Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And so it starts off, Mary Jane loves Spider-Man, but then it, by the end of it, it's a little bit more of Spider-Man loves Mary Jane. Yeah. Um, I think that, yeah, I don't know. They could have kept it as just calling it Mary Jane. Yeah, I th- I think like the 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 choice was very clearly a, a, a like a, a marketing, marketing thing. Yep, but, for sure. Um, it yep. De- I, I don't know. I, I I think it worked. I think Spider Man Loves Mary Jane also has a better ring to it. Uh, yeah. I and and it it does allow for it to be sort of a, a, a cross the gender boundary, which when you just put Mary Jane on it and you've got a heart with Spider Man's face in it. Yeah. I. Uh, guys look at that and go oh that's just for girls right right um and i think that this is my thing i don't think that comics should be written for guys or written for girls i think that comics should be written to tell great stories with diverse casts of all sorts of characters and then guys and girls can enjoy it equally for different reasons or for the same reasons for whatever reason you want to just tell a good story um and i think that's where spider-man loves mary jane ends up existing uh, when it's at its best is is in this cool area where it doesn't matter if you're a guy or a girl or if you're a teenager or you're an adult you can enjoy it it's just a good story um, but yeah I, I love the series uh, yeah. uh, all the way through right up until that now, Terry Moore stuff you made the audacious claim yeah uh, when we were talking about it a I while did. back that this possibly the best Spider-Man story one of the best oh one of the Spider-Man best okay. <laughs> I don't think it is the best I mean like I think that there are definitely better Spider-Man stories out there um, and uh, certainly more important Spider-Man stories out there but 
I I do think that this sits with uh, with um, spectacular Spider-Man as we as we mentioned before as as possibly the best incarnations of the characters. I uh, I think there's an interesting dynamic that's happening in this day and age uh, that these characters have been around for so long that now it is not it's not even the kids who grew up with it writing it but it is the kids whose parents grew up with it and passed on a love for the characters and a legacy of the characters to them now creating the properties yeah and that that element comes through in here because there is uh, there's a deep respect for for the legacy of the character of Spider-Man and for his relationship with all of these different characters, um, and and sort of like where they've fit into the 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 mythology over the years in in the many different incarnations, uh, and I think that that respect and that knowledge ends up creating a version of those characters that distills them into to sort of what makes them. Uh, uh, what what they they should be. I think uh, if you look at something a little bit more modern and contemporary, the other thing that I compare it to is Ninja Turtles, which hasn't had that much time yet. But right now, with Ninja Turtles, we are only in the era of people who grew up with it now creating it. Right. And I think that those people who grew up with it creating it are doing some really cool things when it comes to the IDW series and the the Nickelodeon animated series. Very different things, but but still very cool things. Um, and then the movie we won't even talk about. Uh, but <laughs> Michael, a, Bay, Michael Bay didn't grow up with yeah, Ninja Turtles. <laughs> and, that, and there's the disconnect, yep. and there's the reason why that movie doesn't work. Uh, when we get another 10 to 15 years, or even 20 years removed from, from where we are right now with Ninja Turtles, those will be the best Ninja Tur- Turtle stories uh, uh, that, that'll be told, because I think that they, they break down the characters. They've been reinterpreted, built up, broken down, and rebuilt so many times that you've, in a lot of instances, lost the things that don't need to be there, and you're focusing on the things that are interesting. Yeah. And for me, uh, superhero stories can fall into one of two, two columns. Uh, they can be incredibly epic and huge in scope like we're about to talk about with with uh, Red Sun or they can be about people and they can be about their lives and how you know just being a superhero uh, uh, can affect that and what it means to be a superhero why you're a superhero and I think that one of the things that Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane hits that not a lot of Spider-Man stories manage to hit is why Spider-Man, why Peter Parker is Spider-Man, why he's not a supervillain, why he's not uh, a Wolverine, why he's not Cyclops yeah. or Captain America or Iron Man or any of these other characters. What makes Peter Parker Spider-Man and and Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane nails that 100%. Like, yeah. it is a perfect bullseye. Because his character, especially in Volume 1 of Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, is spot on. There is not a, a missed step with that character. Um, and uh, I wish, I wish that the movies would take a few more notes from this. I feel like the first half of uh, Amazing Spider-Man does try and take that. Right. But he's a little bit more moody and petulant in, in Amazing Spider-Man than... 
and he's and he's a little bit more of a cool guy. Like he's a cool hipster nerd, right? Like we're in a different era now. This was still written before uh, before that was a big thing. This is, I think, you can point to this as one of the things that was like the 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 seed change of like geeks becoming cool. Yep. yep. Um, along with the OC, which was a contemporary of this book. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I don't know like I I like it when Peter is a character who is very humble who is very uh, Peter Parker is very much uh, an insular inward looking character but then whenever he puts on the costume he becomes this other person they actually use that dynamic in this series to great effect because he's able to talk about things with Mary Jane as Spider-Man that he could never say to her as Peter Parker and that's one of the great dynamics of that character that's why we all love Spider-Man because if we all had those powers and can put on that mask nobody knows who we are we could be as freewheeling and carefree as as Spider-Man is but as soon as you take the mask off you're still Peter Parker with all the insecurities and all of the problems that he has in his life so uh, that that is where I'll say this series is one of the best Spider-Man stories ever told. It definitely influences, in my opinion, uh, the the best incarnation of of the character, and that is the Spectacular Spider-Man series. I yeah. think that that series nails it. Well, I mentioned also that there's a lot of similarities with Ultimate Spider-Man, the yeah. early days of Ultimate Spider-Man, and the. Um, they're a lot like for instance they're all in high school still and Mary Jane's yeah. in high school with yeah. them which isn't you know canon quote unquote canon yeah. but um, if this if this series here Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane is from Mary Jane's perspective Ultimate Spider-Man is from Peter Parker's perspective yeah. and yeah. they kind of they're the same it's the same drama yeah um, and that's so and I love those comics the best issue of that one is uh, I think it's issue 13 where the entire issue is just in their bedroom and Peter Parker is telling Mary Jane his secret identity like okay. his secret I mean that he's Spider-Man yeah. and that's the whole issue is 22 pages of just them talk, talking and her reaction and trying to process it he doesn't put on the costume fight villains or anything it's it's just that and that could easily have been an issue in here as well yeah. if they had gone that far um, which they didn't need to because they did it in Ultimate, Ultimate Spider-Man yeah, yeah. so I'd, um, I'd encourage people to read this book yeah, but also read the first several volumes of the Ultimate Spider-Man um, thing as well. And he starts dating Shadowcat in in that series, mm-hmm. um, and and before they get all convoluted with the continuity and start crossing yeah. over and doing all that stuff, that book was fantastic. Yeah. Um, so read both of those and watch the Spectacular Spider-Man show. All yeah. of those three will give you such a great impression yeah. of what. Peter Parker was originally created in the 60s to be yeah um, and in in a more modern day absolutely and if anybody from uh, Marvel Studios is listening to this that hasn't read these comics read them right now Kevin Feige if you're listening please I hope you're listening if you are please send in a, a poll we'll, we, it doesn't matter <laughs> what it is we'll pick it I, I but read these and let this inform the new version of Spider-Man that we're going to see in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because uh, he is going to be younger, he is going to be a teenager, yeah. and uh, and and I think that that's the direction to go. That's the best place to tell that character's story. Um, and they, they try to do it in both did. the Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. They try to do that. To start it there, yeah. But um, it just yeah. needs a little bit more refinement. 
Yeah. Anyway, we've talked about this one a long time. Yes, we have. Let's move on to our reader poll, Superman, Red Sun. Uh, this was pulled by um, Steve Ferguson. He sent in a little request asking us to read this one. He says, I had been fascinated with this concept for years. I think I first heard of it back in 2010, but only scooped it this past year, and I wasn't let down. This, to me, epitomizes a great Superman story, one that turns a fairly well-used character and turns it around to be fascinating. Plus, I didn't see that ending coming. So that's what he has to say about that. And I would have to agree. I mm -hmm. think that this is... Uh, it. The best Superman stories these days are the ones that explore a different Superman from a different perspective yeah. and show that he's still Superman through and through. Um, you know, he doesn't have to, to be fighting the bigger, better, better monster or whatever because, he, yeah, he's been a hard character to write for a long time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So for people who don't know, this is the story of Superman if... He had accidentally crash-landed um, in Soviet Russia instead of Kansas City. Yeah. Uh, so in 1936, which is the year he was created, he crash-landed in, um, in the Ukraine and was raised um, in a, on a communist farm um, learning those ideals yeah. rather than the American ideals. And so he is bred to be um, a communist soldier, basically. Uh, and so the, through, there are three distinct chapters in this story, each taking place at a different point in Superman's life. Um, and you get to, to experience what the world would be like if Superman were uh, Russian rather than American. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know how much do you want to are we allowed to spoil everything here? yeah yeah i mean uh, let's let's assume that everybody has read this along with us i think that uh most people uh a lot of people have read superman red sun it yeah. is it's a it's a it's a seminal piece of comic book mythology uh he's possibly the best elsewhere uh, best known elseworlds version of superman um maybe, except the one where superman crash lands in gotham city that one was a good one did you read that one no i've never read that one. that one is fantastic uh, he crash lands in gotham city and martha i mean uh, and yeah. whatever bruce wayne's parents thomas find him. And thomas and martha that's right. it yeah. um and so he's raised to be batman except yeah. it's batman with superman's power so it's a that's an interesting story too um uh the only other one that i would say is like kingdom come superman oh yeah he's, right. he's very well known but not a lot of like there's not i don't think that there's as much story to tell with kingdom come superman as there was with Red Sun, like you, you basically, you see his whole life. Yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, it, I think it's a fantastic story. Uh, I'm a huge Superman fan. Uh, had you read this before? Uh, I had. I okay. had read this before. This was my first time uh, a few years ago, so it was fun to revisit. Um, I it, it's it's a very interesting look at the character and I think it, it hits on a lot of the things that people misunderstand about Superman um, it is not his powers that make him Superman similar to what we were talking about with Peter Parker it is the person uh, underneath the symbol underneath right. the icon that, that is what makes that character and, uh, and, and this version of Superman 
although uh, living for the communist ideal and uh, and sort of striving towards that as opposed to the ideals of America. Um, I say when I say America, I mean America. I don't mean the United States of America. He stands for truth, justice, and the American way, and I include Canada in that. I I because I think that the time that he kind was Western created, ideals. I yeah. think in the time that he was created, those were much more similar than they are now. Yeah. Um, um, those our two countries have kind of drifted apart, even though we're right next to each other. But um, it, with him growing up in the in the communist ideal, which is very different from capitalism, very different from from a uh, uh, democratic. Uh, system, uh, both republic and uh, and parliamentary democracies. I, uh, it, he he's I, uh, he's very different from the Superman that we know and love. But at the core, he is exactly the same. Right. Uh, the reasons why he does what he does remain constant, and I think that that is where this story gets interesting because I, uh, he just wants. To help people, he just wants to to uh, uh, create a better world. Uh, yeah. I, but where the ideals of, of, of America uh, that everyone is is uh, valued for their individuality and their own sort of uh, unique perspective, uh, it, it in communism, although there is still an important value placed on the individual it is much more the individual within the larger collective and what role they have to play yeah and that everybody has a specific role and that role is determined by the collective not by the individual it's completely opposite from from the american idea, right. capitalist ideal but when you're raised with it if that's yeah. if that's your understanding of how yeah. the world works when you're a child then of course when you are actually in a position to influence people yeah. um then that is the way you see yeah. is going to be the way to work. Yes, it works. so that's where the, the core difference sort of splits is that, that, that the Superman that we know and love from, from 75 plus years of, uh, of legacy, uh, his ideal is very much, uh, it's, it's, it's epitomized in, in uh, the first Superman movie, um, in the words of Jor-El where he says they can be a great people they just lack the light to show them the way and that's what Superman stands for he's not um, he's not there to enforce or protect us necessarily but instead to be a beacon that we hold up as the ideal of what humanity can be um, and that's everything that Krypton was but with the heart and the, uh, the, the I don't know I guess like tenacity that, that humanity has that Krypton lacked, right? Because yeah. they were much more stoic and uh, and and intellectual. Um, but then, when you bring them up in a communist ideal, I uh, it because of the nature of that. Because when you flip that on it, that 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 uh, importance of the individual on its head, and it becomes uh, that you are very much a, a cog in the larger machine. It becomes about the machine, not the cog. Right. Right. And so that's the perspective that that this Superman, uh, which I do, we ever get his his. He never has a secret identity, right? Like like we never really hear what he was called by his parents. Right. By by his Earth parents, what when we, 
start the story he it's already post World War Two, and he's shown up, um, and is yeah it's beginning the kind of Cold War yeah era. and 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 turns the Cold War in 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 the Soviet Union's favor yeah. and he's already Superman he shows up and is Superman and is referred to as Superman um, and it's really not even until later in the story that we hear him referred to as Kal El. Um, and uh, I don't even know if we if do we, we do even right hear? until the end, um, because it is kind of it is kind of the twist there, right? Yeah. Um, but I I he's very he he doesn't even have that Clark Kent persona. I think is the important element of that. He is Superman. He is a soldier, and he is he's Stalin's Superman. Like he is his yeah. his uh, his his tool, his weapon to use against uh, uh, the rest of, of the world, essentially. And it's successful because they yeah. end up taking over the entire world. Yeah, after, after Stalin dies. After Stalin dies, Superman he realizes up. that I can, he could do a, a, a better job than anybody else. Yeah. Um, the people, the world needs his help. Yeah. And um, so he institutes communism all over the world takes over the entire thing except for america which is held and and one there was one other country as well oh was there yeah there was one other country that they that also held on. i i think that's in the second issue and oh in chile yeah and chile, yeah and by the third issue they don't mention that again yeah uh, it's just america that's a problem but yeah um yeah i mean it, it it's it's so great because it, it casts Superman in somewhat of a villainous role, although he never actually... Uh, I shouldn't say that. He does do some things that are horribly wrong. But um, he... He's still altruistic. He does the he whole thing without... He is yeah. He takes over the whole world without causing any wars or any bloodshed. Yeah. He does um, it through... Yeah. The the dark side to that is uh, is that people who... The, the dissidents, the people who, who don't agree with his way of rule, yeah. become Superman robots, which yeah. it means that they, they get have reprogrammed. A, yeah, Their brains yeah. get wiped or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which actually, it's very interesting because a lot of these elements end up showing up in World of New Krypton, which is a story where, uh, I, just before New 52, where uh, they, they brought back Kandor. Superman was finally able, he defeated Brainiac after they, they sort of reintroduced Brainiac since whatever crisis before so brainiac hadn't existed in the comics at that point uh since whatever previous crisis identity crisis or whatever yeah. it was whatever world shattering uh, thing rearranged the, the universe uh so brainiac shows up superman defeats brainiac finds candor and then is able to restore candor using brainiac's technology and then finds out that kryptonian civilization was actually incredibly totalitarian that the science council kind of ruled everything and determined what everybody else's roles were through right. basically personality tests yeah. and that the working class was walked all over and then looked down upon and they were basically like they were forced to to so like it it's funny because the the legacy of superman uh, uh informs everything in red sun but post red sun a lot of Superman's story has been very informed yeah, by yeah. this look at it because it's by sort of inverting the colors that you start to see 
where the core of Superman lies. And this is when I said earlier about layouts, you have to know the rules and then you can break them and, and rules are absolutely there to be broken. This book is a perfect example of breaking the rules properly. Yeah. You take everything that Superman's about and you flip it on its head and only then after we've done that exercise and, and Mark Millar does a great job of doing that, uh, only then can we really understand what Superman's about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you can get a great story like All-Star Superman, which then again in a different way boils down that character to his right. core concepts and explores it. Um, and one of the most important parts oh, of Oh yeah, there's another version of Superman that we should have mentioned earlier. Yes. A well-known yeah, yeah. version. Um, but the, the other element of Red Sun that, that is so important in telling the story of Superman if you cast Superman technically as a villain then you've got Lex Luthor yeah. on the other side as is the, he hero the hero of America <laughs> but it's so fascinating because I, I, he does end up the hero of the story but he does so many things wrong on yeah. the path to well that. yeah his he he solves all the problems in the world hunger and homelessness and disease he cures mm -hmm. all the incurable diseases but he only does that yeah because he wants to prove that he's better than superman yeah and so he's it, it's it's a fascinating look at his character too because you realize we all we already know that he's super intelligent he's a yeah. smart guy but what he's capable of like this is what he's actually capable of yeah but he never gets that way in the comic books because he's too blinded by his own ego to uh, to to realize that. Yeah. But in this one, he's given the chance. He's president, just like he was in the comics for a while, and uh, and he ends up ruling the entire world. Yeah. Um, but, and then it, at it, when he dies, uh, when he's eight hundred years old, because he's increased the life expectancy of humankind, um, he says that his greatest his greatest moment his greatest accomplishment was saving the world from superman yeah it wasn't uh um it wasn't curing those diseases and saving people and and helping them and creating an ideal world and even colonizing all the other planets in the solar system it was the fact well i guess that makes sense because he that was saving the world from yeah. being under an iron thumb so I guess that, but still, I mean, it shows his his ambition, like yeah, where his yeah. priorities lie. Well, it, it's a that that's sort of the 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 question that's always been posited about Lex Luthor, basically since uh, since the 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 John Byrne era, is that uh, this this is a man who would be humanity's savior if not for you know uh, uh, his bruised ego, yeah, in the shadow of Superman who's not even human right like that's his whole that's that's the angle that that luthor is always playing is that you all look at him as the superman he's not a man he's he's an alien he doesn't belong here yeah this is my planet i'm the one you should be looking to to save you right and and uh that that is uh, epitomized in this story um and i think that that people who write lex luthor now very much write him with that in mind and they look at red sun as as one of, I, I don't know if red sun is the place where that originates i'm sure that there's probably other places where that sort because of, i think i think during the um uh, I, I reign of the superman 
uh, post death of Superman and all that. Yeah. There, there was a little bit of that uh, in that era uh, when he had the when he was a clone <laughs> of Lex Luthor with the, <laughs> the long hair, red yeah. locks, uh, and he was uh, he was was he was like was he not like dating Lois and and Supergirl was like his friend or something? I I don't know because I haven't read those comics. I only have like this really vague recollection of that era, but. Um, but yeah, like this, this, this thesis, which is really what Red Sun is on the character of Superman, much like All Star Superman is also a thesis on Superman from a different author. Um, it 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 breaks down the character and lets us uh, inspect those individual pieces, but it does it within its own really really strong narrative. Um, the other character that it lets us break down is Batman. Yeah. Um, and now this is not Bruce Wayne Batman. Nope. It's a different Batman, and it's, a, it's he doesn't have an alter ego as well. Yeah, they never call him by his real name. Yeah, um, but uh, basically the KGB uh, and their sort of uh, uh, the the extension of the totalitarian uh, regime, uh, totalitarian regime of Stalin, results in this individual whose parents are killed, and then he decides that he's gonna do everything in his power. To disrupt the communist system and and eventually well, that his means parents, Superman. His parents were trying to disrupt it. Yes. Right. Because yeah. they were, you know, they traitors out. or whatever. They yeah. spoke out. They're they're uh, putting up posters and such against Superman, anti-Superman posters. So again, that's the way that this child was raised yeah. is to believe not communist ideals that there yeah. are better ways. And so when he gets the opportunity and becomes Batman. That's yeah. what he's going to stand for as well. Um, but I think the interesting thing here, and maybe one of the reasons why I riff on Batman so much, is that uh, there is so much story here to tell with Superman in order to dig down to the core of his character. But Batman, within this, really doesn't take a lot for us to understand where he's coming <laughs> from, what his motivations are, and how similar he is to the, the real Batman. Um, or real, real, in quotes, Batman. Right. The, the main continuity Batman. Um, it, so I think I, I, that right there is why I, I, I do love the character of Batman. Uh, I don't love him as much as I love the character of Superman. Uh, one of my things with Batman is that uh, I think the majority of writers write him incorrectly because they write him as uh, a, a, a superhero, which he is not. He is a detective first and foremost, and he happens to hang out with a bunch of superheroes. Uh, I don't like I don't like characters who know everything that's gonna happen or have like this sort of omnipotent perspective because the author has an omnipotent perspective. I've talked a lot about it in re in relation to Grand Admiral Thrawn in the Star Wars uh, expanded universe. Uh, it just it drives me nuts. And Batman in the past, written by some very intelligent, great writers that I love in other respects, have written him in that way where he knows everything that everybody else is going to do before they do it. And so you get that argument of who would win in a fight, Batman or Superman. And the truth of the matter is obviously always going to be Superman uh, because he's all-powerful. That's the nature of his character. But he would never kill Batman. Uh, uh, but everybody, like a lot of people go to Batman and go, like, well, he'll just pull out a kryptonite ring and beat the crap out of Superman just like <laughs> he did in The Dark Knight Returns. It's like, well, point to one of the most poorly written Batman stories. I'm going to uh -oh. get hit <laughs> for that. Uh, I hate Frank Miller's Dark Knight uh, stuff. 
I, I think it's the wrong version of Batman. It's the Batman that everybody's pulling from that creates the that atmosphere of Batman fandom that we have today, which is that he's he's gritty and he's dark and he's cooler than anybody else in the DC universe. And it's like that is not an interesting character. Jonathan, I could send you Michael's direct email yeah. if you want. <laughs> uh, jo- Jonathan knows how to get um, um, Let's get back to talking about Superman. But yeah, it, well, I just to, to talk about like this this book shows Batman in that Superman universe in this in this version, and it shows I think what what would ultimately happen if you put those characters next to each other. Yeah, uh, Superman's gonna win out because he's got time and invulnerability on his side. Yeah. But, um, the best version of Superman be- defeating Batman before we get back to Red Sun is a comic that I that I saw online. I wish I could attribute the the artist, but but I saw it on Tumblr. So the, the artist, <laughs> yeah, the attribution generally disappears. But I'm sure that everybody can find it. Um, Batman basically says to Superman, "You could never defeat me. I am the Knight. I'm Batman." Blah blah blah. All this stuff. I I and Superman goes it goes oh yeah sure sure bruce sure whatever and then does his classic uh traveling back in time from <laughs> superman the movie yeah uh goes back and stops bruce's parents from being killed <laughs> thus never batman never, never yeah exists. never necessitating yeah. the 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 uh the creation of, of the character of yeah. batman and uh as he does that says to him uh i win yeah. And, then, and then goes back uh, so uh, you know Superman wins yeah. I, I, but that's from a Superman fan's perspective so yeah. um, I don't know do you, what, what other thoughts do you have on Red Um I just wanted to mention the, uh, the way Lex Luthor defeats Superman in the end with that little piece of paper and at first yeah. I was like that, that's, that, that doesn't work that's kind of a cheap cop out answer or whatever um, but you know the more I think about it like that is how like and you mentioned it before it's like you don't beat superman by strength you have to beat him mentally yeah um and that's what lex luther was doing and then i thought well why couldn't lex luther have done that like years ago um just made because because he lex luther already knew about the um that portion of the city that was in the bottle that Superman couldn't ever yeah. restore. Like, that yeah. was his Superman's failure. Why couldn't he break, bring it up then? But it took all of those years of Superman taking over the world. Yeah. Um, and then that was the point where he could get breakthrough to him. So like he wouldn't because, have been able to do it before that. Because Luthor wasn't necessarily concerned just with defeating Superman. He had to obliterate Superman. Right. And in order to do that, he had to prove to the world that Superman was a problem. Right. And not a hero. So he had to... So he had to... Like, he says uh, at the end, like, right before he he defeats uh, Superman, you could almost be forgiven for for thinking that this wasn't a plan (laughs) uh, 40 years in the making. And that is... That's Lex's way of saying without saying I put the pawns out because he's playing chess all throughout it. The two yeah. of them both are playing chess uh, in different different uh, aspects throughout the story. Yeah, uh, which is the allegory for the entirety of that. It story, should have been playing just... Risk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, and uh, I, it was Lex's plan from forty years before, from basically I think the beginning of issue two, 
when he finally like cracked it and figured out what he was going to do in order to defeat Superman eventually. Yeah. But because he's Lex Luthor, he's infinitely patient because he knows that he's got all the time in the world because he'll cure once yeah. he's done he'll cure cancer he'll cure everything he'll they'll live to be 800 he'll have lots of time to enjoy it the the 40 years that he has to wait is a drop in the bucket right yeah um in the greater scheme of things and so i think like that is the the, the his plan wasn't just to kill superman because as we discover he doesn't kill superman but he defeats superman yeah he, he kills the superman the idea of superman right he might not defeat kal-el but he he does definitely wipe the influence of Superman from the face of the earth and replace it with himself. Yeah. And then the irony of the story is that his his uh, descendants, this is the big twist at the end. So hopefully you've read it. If you haven't, don't listen. Stop listening because this is ahead. a big twist. I, I, that it is the descendants of Lex Luthor that become yeah. the Over time, of- his, the Luthor name gets shortened to Luth. And then it's just L. Yeah. And pretty soon we find out that Jor L is one of Luther's many, many descendants, hundreds and hundreds of years in the future. Yeah. And yeah. they, and then by that time, our yellow sun is dying. It turns into a red sun. Yeah. And it explodes. And they manage to send their son, Kal El, I'm assuming back in time, back in time rather yeah. than to another planet, yeah. back to. 1936 he goes to the planet of the apes right with it yeah. so it ends up being a cyclical story yeah. that, that tells itself it's of. just uh yeah the ending didn't need to be there they didn't need to have that no twist. It, it didn't um it just kind of blows your mind um it's anyways. fantastic yeah though, it's I a good it. ending um, yep because it ends up being luthor's fighting himself yeah essentially yeah. the whole time um yeah i i love it i think that any superman fan needs to read this story uh, it should be in your collection along with uh, all-star superman and uh, uh superman for all seasons uh, oh yeah which are, are, we should talk about yeah and uh, we will get to those eventually but uh but yeah i don't know that there's that much more to say yeah it's uh it's uh, you know what it, it, we would need to bring in a, an expert on uh on on politics and somebody who really knows communism to really get into it and right. and 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 uh, uh dive a little bit deeper but uh, i don't know maybe that's a topic for a regularly scheduled maybe that's something to get into <laughs> yeah. over there but uh, I love it I think it's great and and not only is it incredibly uh, well written I think and, and structured but the art is yeah. fantastic from start to finish yeah they do a really good job that's something we didn't talk about at all in yeah. this and there's two artists on this who have yep. a very similar style so I don't even know which one is which yeah where it, uh, where one begins and where the other ends so that and that's nice because I don't it, it's not as as jarring when you see one yeah. page one art one style and yeah turn the page and oh what, what's this um it also gives uh they they use colors very interesting in this one too each page has its own um palette basically yeah to determine so like whenever you see lex it's they use a lot of greens and whenever you see batman there's a lot of dark purples and and blues and such and uh so they they use that uh, and every time you see superman um you don't get the reds or the blues instead they put this kind of gray wash over everything so it it kind of shows how drab and yeah whatever his lifestyle is so yeah i like it cool three good books uh yeah three great books actually i think i think uh, i think this might be one of our best months Uh, that and last month yeah yeah it was it was it was a great read and uh 
I highly recommend it for anybody who's just listening along and hasn't actually read any of these yet. But uh, let's jump into let's 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 uh, let's throw out our polls for next month. So do you want to go first? Sure. Um, I am choosing a book called Rat Queens, kind of new, um, by Curtis J. Weeb uh, and Rock Upchurch is the artist. And the volume one is called Sass and Sorcery. So we'll be reading this book and uh, and talking about it. It's, it's from Image. It's from Shadowline, which is one of the original imprints of image cool um which was i think mark mark silvestri's mm. one that shadowhawk was was okay. on or is that or is that jim valentino who did shadowhawk i don't know i don't remember <laughs> uh somebody will correct us hopefully and then uh or I'll, I'll make sure i know that for next time but anyway yeah that imprint still exists and cool. rat queens is part of it so this is uh it's been getting some news lately yeah it's so uh, yeah there's a there's a lot of hubbub yeah in, in the comics so world. we can talk about that next cool. month um, what is your pick? Awesome! I'm I'm jumping back uh, back in time, a little ways, and uh, and grabbing a, a comic that I have been meaning to read for a long time, and that Greg Miller uh, highly recommends, and we talked a little bit about on uh, on that episode of Quiver, and so I decided that I would make it the poll for for this upcoming month, and that is uh, Invincible, uh, which is a Robert Kirkman story. Uh, so. We'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Apparently, it starts a little rocky, so we're actually going to... I think we're going to read the Ultimate uh, Collection, which is the first 14 issues, I believe. Yeah, I think this is the first two volumes, if yeah. you're picking up the trades. Yeah, so I so yeah, we're, we're going to read quite a bit of that to begin with, um, uh, so that we can get a better sense for it. And Good. maybe not make the mistake. I don't know if I want to call it a mistake, because I still stand firm on my stance on on uh, on on Astro City, but I, uh, but maybe get a little. Well, Astro City is different because that was a self-contained miniseries that we yes, read. That's true. And then they went on after yeah. the fact they did more. Yeah, Invincible is very much. I, 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 it's an, an ongoing. ongoing. Yep. It's basically uh, the way it was pitched to me by Greg was that I, I the main character. I I think I think he's called Invincible. Like that's yeah. his superhero name. Uh, he is essentially the son of Superman. Like it, the the there's the, his father is a an established superhero, basically the powers of Superman, and uh, and so it's a, it's kind of about him and his coming of age and learning to be a superhero in the shadow of his father, and, yeah, and all that, which sounds really interesting. It's yet another sort of alternate take on DC slash Marvel, uh, and the and the the superhero genre. But uh, let's hope that this one hits <laughs> let's hope that this one that this one is uh, it hits the mark well Where i'm a big robert Kirkman fan yeah. i haven't read the invincible yet but i love walking dead so yeah see yeah how that same goes. with me so um and then our reader poll for this month is from mark burdett and he says hey guys dc the new frontier by darren cook is one of my favorite books it sums up what uh, what was amazing about the silver age um darwin cook Darwin Cook simultaneously delivers a great story and amazing artwork as author and artist. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Mark from Nashville. Cool. So that's, uh, yeah, so we're going to do both volumes, both yes. one and two, because it's uh, it's one full story. Yeah. And that's a lot of reading that we're going to do this month. That is a lot of reading. Yeah, yeah. It, it's quite a bit. Um, but it'll be good. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to uh, this next coming month. But um, I, Two more, also two more... Um, bits of pull box news one is we next month we're going to have a special announcement 
um, about something that's going to happen in the next month. So we will, we're just going to tease you with that now. Cool. Um, do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. And then also Scholastic um, was kind enough to send us um, a copy of the new edition of Bone Volume 1 out from Boneville. They call it the Tribute Edition, and this is because cool. graphics, their comic imprint graphics is celebrating their 10th anniversary. So we're doing a giveaway. And um, the details about the giveaway will be up when you see a review of that version of Bone, that edition of Bone on our cool. website. So that should go up in a few days if you're listening to this as soon as we post it. Um, and then, or you can like our Facebook page, Pullbox Podcast, which uh, when we put, put up the, the Bone review, um, we'll get a link there so you'll be yep. alerted of that. And it'll go to our Twitter. Which, yep. So yep. Uh, at the Pullbox Podcast. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, thank you guys for listening. As always, I, I, you head to pullboxpodcast.com to, uh, to, to get everything, all of our reviews, uh, to, to check out the archive and see what books we've read and the corresponding episodes that go with it. So if you want to get caught up with everything that we've read thus far, you can do that by going to, to our website at pullboxpodcast.com. Uh, and as Curtis mentioned, the, the Facebook page, facebook.com slash pullboxpodcast and our Twitter at pullboxpodcast. Uh, you can follow me personally at arkwolf, A-R-K-W-U-L-F. And I'm at Curtis Findlay, um, as it says on our website. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and of course, head over to thunderquack.com to check out everything else in the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Uh, there's lots of great podcasts over there for you to, to get into and more stuff on the way, as well as our roundtables. And, of course, our Patreon campaign over at patreon.com slash thunderquack, where you can contribute and uh, it, what's the level? We've got a pull box uh, I, I tier over there. Uh, yeah, I don't even remember. Uh, no one's taken advantage of it yet. No one has yet. <laughs> I, I believe it's it's the, is it a $15 tier? Um, I, I'm going to just quickly look it up because okay. I don't want to yeah. say something that's not. Did you say our email address already? I didn't. Uh, oh. The email address is uh, the, uh, it's the pullboxpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, uh, and uh, you can send in your emails and let us know. Uh, you can let us know a lot of things. You can let us know what you thought of of uh, uh, the books that we're reading, uh, the upcoming or past books. Uh, you can send in your suggestions for the reader poll, and when you do that, just send in the title along with a brief description of why you think we should read it. So, what makes it important? What makes it special for you? Uh, Great. And, why you think we should read it uh, and uh, and you can just tell us how we're doing on the podcast in general we, we'd like to hear that as yep well. just as Jonathan did this month yeah we we take criticism as well and we'll address it and uh, hopefully uh, in a respectful way <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah $15 per month if you pledge $15 per month on patron then uh, patreon sorry then uh, we will record a special 20 minute pull box podcast reader pull segment featuring a graphic novel of your choice and they're in on the conversation we will skype you yep. so that you can share your thoughts with us and we can have a, a nice discussion around that too yeah that sounds like a good deal yeah so that's uh that's a, that's a i think that's a great uh, uh level so that's available for you at patreon.com slash thunderquack and of course the podcast will always remain free 
Uh, uh, so nothing changes with Patreon. It's just another it's just bonuses. way. Yeah, it's just another way for you to, to get involved and to support us so that we can bring you more great content like this. Uh, it helps also fund our giveaways that yes. we're going to start doing too. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but uh, but that's it for us this month on Pullbox. Thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you next month. Yep, keep reading comics. Oh, 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 oh.